Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to the Reluctant Agilist podcast. Trisha Broderick is here today. Trisha, thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. And this is the first time we've done one without video. We usually just do them at the Agile conference, I think. But I'm I know, I know. And 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 we're not together, which makes me sad too. (laughs) It makes me sad too, but at least we're not going to infect each other with the pandemic. That is true. I I (laughs) I will I will own that I'm one of those people that have really I think I've gotten guests twice since March. I really haven't left my house. (laughs) I yeah, I don't I don't I only go out to judge people that don't wear masks. There's a pastime right there. <laughs> Very healthy pastime. So I asked, I'll try to set this up. Um, and then in a moment, I'm going to ask you to tell these people about your background and stuff like that. But um, I was teaching with somebody recently who, um, in terms of content and, and the material and everything, the, the stuff they covered was just spot on. It was really, really good. Everything they said was right. But there wasn't a lot of dynamic behavior that was going on. It was a little dry. And that's something that I struggle with when I work with people that are trying to become CSTs and things like that is how do I teach or how do I help them find a place where they can present in an entertaining and exciting way? Because they're so usually so worried about the content um, that the other part just isn't part of it. And I don't know how to do that. And Trisha is somebody that not only is amazing at that, but I've seen her help other people with that. So I reached out and asked if maybe part of these, one of the new courses she's teaching um, has some aspect of that. So um, Trisha, can you maybe share a little bit about your background and then a little bit about the course as well? Sure, sure. So I have maybe what you call a traditional background. I don't even know at this point. Um, I, I, I like to refer to myself now as a recovering developer. I have a computer science degree. I see code and I still get excited, but you don't want me coding anymore. Like, <laughs> um, and, and I got pulled into project management fairly early in my career, but I, I kind of honestly went, I will not give up my tech cred. And then my OCD checkmark loving self came out. And, and being able to respond to risks and, and identify worst case scenarios and critical paths. And I, my mind just enjoyed it as much as coding as well. And so I went down that path for a little while, continued with coding, continued with project management, um, I got, I'd like to say I got really lucky and that I got exposed to agile frameworks very early on. I was doing extreme programming in the late nineties, like 99 and scrum in 2005. So I've been part of this agile community since 2007, officially, where I've been going to the conferences and speaking and doing things. But one of the things that I saw over and over as I was taking on more senior leadership positions. Um, I've been a director of development, managing the project management office, just different roles throughout my career is, especially within the agile community, we say things like the heart of agile manifesto principle number five of empowering self-organizing teams and, and trusting them to get the job done. But we don't teach leaders the skills they need to do that (laughs) very well. And, and then as a result, watch a lot of people get frustrated. So lately, or not lately, maybe for a while now, I've been very focused on trying to help leaders build a, a well-rounded skill set that kind of, as you started with this, connects with other people to inspire them, to allow them to embrace a growth mindset, to allow them to challenge themselves and experiment and discover value. And, and I do that in a variety of different ways. 
Okay. So I'm going to try to, to, to come at it from a very simple angle. Okay. I watched this, this person that I'm talking about teaching and it, it felt like when I used to go to the PMI conferences way back, I don't know, 15 years ago, as I'm old, maybe almost 20 years ago, I would see people get up in front of a room that had paid a lot of money to come and hear them speak. And they would sit at a table and read slides to the audience. And, and I just, just painful, I watch it. it. <laughs> it's not only painful to me. It's, it's like, I mean, I get it. If, if somebody's up there and they're super nervous and that's the best they can do. Okay. But I feel like these people give, t- give their time. They deserve a show. They deserve more than that. Um, and I guess there's, there's the message, but the delivery is as important to me. And yeah, well, uh, and I, I don't know I how don't... to teach that to people. <laughs> well, and I don't, that's the problem is, is I don't think a lot of times people do t- teach others. And so we deliver based on what we think is most important. We deliver based on what we've seen. And the reality is, is we've all seen a lot of that kind of delivery and, and tolerated it for a really long time. And the opposite is the exception, not the norm. And so I think it's it's a matter of kind of starting to dig in and going, what is it that you're most concerned about? So when I'm working with people, we, we used to do this conference, we called it the DevCon. And there were so many developers who never spoke before, never, you know, shared information. And I wanted to create an environment where they could start learning to do that. And it was astounding to me how many people were so afraid of saying something wrong or missing something that they couldn't let go of their script, that they couldn't let go of reading those slides. Um, Because they just, it's that fear of being wrong in front of people, right? That can be really debilitating for a lot of people. So how do you, I mean, well, how did you get past that? Assuming that you had some, some measure of that, how did you work through it? Um, well, there's a couple of different things that I teach people with this is one that no one knows if you forgot something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like really is, is like the only person who knows your script is you. <laughs> and so a lot of times if, we just don't need to always, I, I love it when I, I, when I hear the person who's like, oh, I forgot to tell you. I'm like, just leave that first part out. Just tell them. They don't know <laughs> that you forgot to tell them. Right. Okay. Um, and, and so a lot of times it's, it's reminding people that they're there to learn and they want you to be successful. No one knows what's in your script. So you, it's hard. No one knows if you make a mistake, but you, right. Yeah. And, and so or at least in terms of your script. I mean, right. I guess if you say something factually incorrect, they'll know. But, um, but like we we hold on to that script because it makes us. We believe we can be professional. It's like a project plan. It's yeah, wrong. Well, it's we something have. that they can follow and it gives them comfort. Right. This is their yeah. plan, and and I can check off. And I like me some check marks. But here's the here's the, some of the dynamics and tips that I've learned with this. Is one, no one knows if you forgot to say something. Two. Almost always, if it's something super important, it will. The reason I realized I forgot it was because it will come back up at another point, someplace where I'm talking, and I just okay. bring it up at that point. Very lean of you. Well, it, I mean, and if it doesn't come back up, it probably wasn't it. that huge yeah. to say it, right? Yeah. But oh, I, I once forgot to introduce myself in a class. <laughs> I've done that a lot, actually. <laughs> and then later it came back up because I was like, oh, you have no idea I was this. Who I am. <laughs> <laughs> but, but 
if it's important, it will come back up and you can naturally fit it in at that spot. And rarely will anybody else notice unless you tell them. Okay. The other thing is, is having people realize, and this is the trickier one, okay, is that they want you to succeed, but they want you to succeed, meaning they have to feel a connection with you. If you are too worried about delivering perfectly, you won't likely be authentic. And that lack of authenticity makes people hard to connect with that person. It, um, and, and, and because that lack of connection, then their interest dies down their their, you know, support dies down. And so, I mean, think about it, Dave, have you ever seen anybody almost completely like bomb or struggle to get their tech set up at the start? And you're just, you feel so much compassion for that person. Yeah. Because at that point they have to just be real and go, I don't, whatever is going to happen. It just, oh, it makes me think of, I did this. Um, I got, online. I just got chills when you said <laughs> Did you? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I just did this online summit and for the first time ever in my speaking professional career, I was unable to finish whatever I had just agreed to do. And because the organizers entire internet connection went down. Like there was nothing I could do. We, we just, and when we came back online, Adam and I, who was one of the, was the organizer, I was like, I'm going to go get wine. We just got to make this as real as possible. Right. Like, and so when we came back out, I was like, Hey, what can you do? I was so humiliated and, and upset because I felt like I let everybody down. I, I have to tell you out of all my speaking that I've done over the years, that is the one that I've got the most response from. And Sympathy for you. Well, it was this like realization that when I came back on, I wasn't like pretending it didn't happen. I didn't, you know, I owned it. We just laughed about it. You tried to have humility and, and, and humor and the, and the realities of 2020. Right. But because of that authenticity, people will forgive certain levels of content knowledge or certain depths or, or other things, because they feel a connection to you when they feel like you're being real with them. It's a higher trust. And, and so, so often I remind people, I'm like, what's your ultimate goal? If it's just to get up and regurgitate facts, then you'll knock it out of the park. But if it's actually to help somebody learn or to connect with people or to help people, you have to be you. And that's slightly different for everybody. So I never thought about this trust thing before, but it, I'm going to I'm gonna use an example and I'm going to bleep part of this out because of the language. But I was at a conference <laughs> and this guy- I just want to note it. You have to bleep yourself before I will, me. Yeah. I just want that yeah, noted. It's just, I thought about <laughs> trying to say it without the, but it's not going to have the same impact. This guy was up on stage in front of a couple hundred people and he was talking through his thing. And he had a slide up and one of the words on the slide was, I don't remember what the word was, but it was a more complex word. And he totally botched saying it, like mispronounced it horribly. And he paused- and he stopped and he looked out and he's like, I knew I was going to do that. And he looked up at the screen and he went, I hate that word. Fuck that word. And <laughs> it was just like the most perfect moment of like everybody connected with him right there. Cause we've all done that. Yeah. And he had everybody. And I get, and I guess like you just said the thing about trust and it kind of dawned on me, like maybe that's the thing that you're trying. Yes. You want to connect, but maybe that's where we have to connect first is help them see themselves in you while you're presenting. Well, yeah, it's actually part of what keeps people um, engaged is we have this thing in the back of our brains that's known as the reticular activating system. And 
and it wakes you up. Otherwise, it puts you on autopilot. Have you ever driven to work and not remembered driving? Yeah. <laughs> right? And you're once, like, yeah. oh my gosh, what if I hit something? Well, no, yeah. actually, it's part of your brain's function. It's why most accidents happen within a radius of your home because okay. you're so frequently in autopilot mode, right? Well, it wakes up based on four primary things. One is something like novelty, like something that's brand new. You weren't expecting it whatsoever. It's like, what is going on here? Two is contrast. It's so drastically different from what was happening just before. Your brain's like, ooh, do I need to be concerned here? Like suddenly something's very, very off and different. Do I need to pay attention, right? Right. And then third out of four is is emotion. Does it, it actually cause me to have some feelings and emotions and tied to maybe you're telling a story and it, it triggers some thoughts for me. But the fourth one, and, and these aren't in order necessarily, but the fourth one is meaning. And so is there this connection? Do I see that relatability and going, oh, I remember when I screwed up, <laughs> screwed up saying somebody's name once. And I was so, I felt so bad, even after I practiced over and over. Maybe it even draws up some emotion with me as well in that moment. Yeah. All of those things make an audience member or a, cl- or a participant go, wait, pay attention, engage the brain, engage that thinking part of your brain that helps to make those connections, which is ultimately what you want to be doing when you're speaking or training is (laughs) engaging somebody's thinking brain. But if they're in autopilot because you've started monotone talking about your key points and you're not going to have anything else and then you just keep going, I can't even do that for much longer before I'm annoying myself, right? (laughs) Um, it, It can really honestly lull people into autopilot. Maybe yeah. not actually asleep, but they're not engaged. So I guess that's why, at least, I don't know how it is in your classes, but I'm constantly getting the feedback, we want more stories. And it took me a long time to realize it's not that they don't think they're getting stories, it's that they like the stories and they would like more of them. Well, it helps with, it kind of pulls in all of it, especially because yeah. it has both the meaning and the emotion, but it helps Storytelling is a phenomenal way of allowing people to see some imagery as you're talking, to relate and link to things that they already know. Um, And it's done in a way that our brains just process better versus a bullet list of things up on a slide that you're like, wait, how does this tie to what I'm talking about versus hearing something that somebody else did. It all goes back to that authenticity of going, okay, if she did it, I can do it. Or, okay, if she's being real about this, maybe I can be a little honest myself. Well, did you ever go through that imposter syndrome phase that a lot of people struggle with? Because you, like, one of the things that I talk about when we talk about people becoming CSTs and we talk about the panel, which if for people going to become a CSC, that's one of the scariest moments of the entire process where they had to teach a panel of other trainers. And I always talk about you and Jake because both of you walked in and it was like, why are we, even, this is like a waste of time. We know they're going to pass. Like you would have had to do something horrifically wrong. I contemplated and, that. <laughs> and, and the thing is, for me, it's, it's like the way that the, some people walk in the room, it's like, okay. I mean, they just have you, but so do this you always have that or is you. that well, a new thing? So this might surprise you. I have severe imposter syndrome. Well, okay. I don't understand how you work through that, but maybe you can. So, so like this is this is one of those things. Um, I am. Well, I'm strange on many fronts, as you are well aware. But (laughs) I, I pretty much 
have held on to it in a lot of ways is it's what has also pushed me forward. You know, being a female in tech, being a female senior leader and executive, there's not a lot of examples or stories in, yeah. in many ways, right? And so it's kind of that be better, do better. And, and am I good enough? Am I really, am I capable enough? Am I, I, I still will tell people I have a computer science degree, even if I'm not doing anything related to coding, it, because for me, it gives me cred in some form or fashion. Sure. I don't use it, but I still have to share it because I want people to know that part of me, right? Like, so I actually have it. And yet what I also have is a lack of filter. Okay. <laughs> And and just a pure willingness to be as vulnerable as maybe I wouldn't want somebody else to have to be. So okay. I made a conscious choice a long time ago that a lot of my speaking sessions or a lot of my topics or things I put in my classes are things I wish I would have known or I wish somebody would have been brave enough to set it out loud. And, and it's kind of how I started my career speaking at Agile conferences is by saying the things others didn't want to say. And I've just continued that. It's kind of like, what would I rant about or what would I, what will I be willing to admit that others don't want to? And as a result of that, people see me as very, very confident. And reality is, is um, I'm confident in my knowledge. I'm confident in my ability to help others. I still always carry this but am I good enough with me at all times? So um, that is that, let me try to think of the way to say this. The adrenaline that's, that comes from the, the fear that you're pushing yourself to lean into, is that become sort of the fuel? Uh, maybe a little bit. I probably need to go to a therapist, honestly. Um, <laughs> I, like, I think so. I, I think it's also just an element of, Part of honestly being, I mean, I was the first to go to college, right? In my family, I You're I had teachers in high school that told me I would be lucky if I just worked at McDonald's, um, right? Like, so I never had these like grandiose plans for me at as a kid, and okay. and so I think there's a little bit more of me just going, this could all go away at any moment. Like I could be found out as a fraud. And, and that's a purely psychological thing on my part. And yet I do have a lot of confidence of being able to answer any question or go into a panel and be able to, to deliver this stuff. Um, but that, but I do hold on to it for a, hu a humble dynamic of going, yeah. I don't know everything. I have still tons to learn. I am learning new things this year about myself of, and my need to not be stuck in my house. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so I, I think in some ways it's become a crutch for me a little bit and I I've been working on that, but on, on other hands, I think it's just natural for a, a number of people of, wanting to do a good job. I mean, that's part of what motivates cognitive knowledge workers is mastery and, yeah. and purpose and autonomy. And if you go by Daniel Pink's work and so, which I'm a big fan. And so in those regards, I, I think in some ways it's kind of natural, especially if you're in some kind of underrepresented camp where sometimes you feel like, oh, I'm the first director of female director of development. Now I'm representing all females. Right? Like, I think there's an extra element that comes on top of some yeah. of those things that I feel. Or, and some of that may just be what I put on myself too. Okay. 
So I'm wondering, like for me, a lot of it was recognizing what I didn't want to be, but not knowing what I did want to be. And uh, like, I didn't want to be the guy that just read slides and then trying, there's a scene from a um, David Mamet movie where Gene Hackman solved this problem and they asked how he did it. And he said, he imagined he was somebody smarter than he was. And he did what that guy would do. And that was my approach to presenting. I'm just going to go up there and pretend that it's me two years from now. That oh, I know what I'm talking about and I'm totally confident I'm going to fake it and it's going to be awesome. Well, um, I do tell people though, because I have had a few people go, well, I'm going to try and do what you do. And, and I am now, <laughs> see, I feel, I can even feel my imposter syndrome coming up right this moment. <laughs> I'm about to say something and then be get the called expert. out to task, right? <laughs> um, I'm, I can be funny. I, I am rather humorous when I'm speaking, when I'm just sitting here, I, it's not like I can tell jokes, but I have a good timing, right? Like I have good timing. I have good quick retorts and comebacks and moments and, and, um, and as a result with people, what I can rift back and forth. I can improv really well. And, and as a result of that, I can be pretty humorous in my, in my talks. I don't always intentionally do it. (laughs) Um, but it it usually happens and I've had somebody go, well, I'm going to try and do that. And that was just not authentic to them. Right. They actually needed to be, um, they ended up finding their own voice was very emotionally driven. Um, and I can go there, but theirs was impressive. And so I often say, yes, I I like the idea of like, who do you want to be in two years with it? But my fear with that statement, Dave, is a little bit is, is that here's the formal, proper, have my script, don't make any mistakes in visions that we have. But so many people have this for themselves, right? Like that's that's, awful. (laughs) That's what it is. But to go, what, you know, what kind of vibe or feeling do you want in that room? Yeah. Yeah, and I guess I was thinking like the person is like, yeah, I got it. Like, it's no problem. I'm going to go do the thing. And yeah, yeah. Wrong. the hard part, did that work for you though? Because the hard part for me is always like, it's like telling the person that needs to calm down to calm down. It never worked for me. <laughs> it didn't work in the beginning, but okay, I did, okay. it, it. so part of it was, um, I think, accepting that I was going to suck at it for a while. Oh, and to me, go. that's like, it's the same thing as when you pick up an instrument, you, you have to accept the fact that you're going to be horrible at this for a while. And then yeah. you're not, and you, you won't stop being horrible until you're like, damn, I'm good at this now. And well, it's, it's part of experimentation, right? Yeah. It's the, it's the things, but there are little tricks that you can do that dramatically help. So just even like, cause right when people first walk in to start speaking or training, so much pressure, right? There's all the eyes are on you, everything. And so I love, you know, even training from the back of the room, Sharon Bowman's work in terms of the first C of connection and letting people, other, everybody else start talking first. Cause if all you got to do is get out an opening line of, so at your table, (laughs) discuss why you're here. Then they all start talking. You can keep breathing and get that out. I will say this is one of my most embarrassing things I ever did to somebody. And I felt so horrible. I was trying in my early days of helping people learn how to speak and and have a presence. um, I was like, well, take a, take a sip of water, take a sip of water. What I didn't realize is I should never give that advice for the first three minutes of a speech, you know, like of (laughs) starting this poor woman went, she got really nervous. She She couldn't. 
Well, the whole cup was shaking. I wish I could show like water's flying everywhere. And I'm in the back of the room going, I have failed as a mentor. I have failed. (laughs) And because I've used the water technique throughout for many, many people, it never occurred to me that the first couple minutes when your adrenaline is so high, how holding something in your hand is not the best idea, but it just I didn't put on that qualifier. No, this is a good technique for later. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> a really good point. I, I'd never thought of that either. That's a really good oh, point. Oh, I felt so bad. And then my heart was just broken as, as water's flying everywhere. People are all looking. But on the flip side, I will say also, she owned it in that moment and goes, well, that's a lovely first impression. And everybody started <laughs> laughing. And, and that connection went right back to that connection that allowed you to ease, right? Yeah. Um, that disarming thing is like a really great way of, I don't know. It's almost like you're an overcharged battery and you got to like expel some of that energy. And I think something like that, where you can call attention to it, it just drops a lot of it. It makes it easier. I do recommend that people take a little walk right before they have to go, um, to not sit in the room. Um, as an experienced person, I'll go in there and I'll, I'll just banter with people. But if, if you're really new to it, take a little bit of walk, go down the hall, get yourself all set up and then go walk to the restroom or just don't make sure your mic's not on. Um, and which has happened to a few people, uh, go for a little bit of walk just to get that oxygen up to your brain, some adrenaline out movements, really helpful. Try not to stand right behind a desk because although it can feel really like safe, safe, it actually is you get no oxygen moving. You're right. You are better to pace (laughs) around the room a little bit to just get release some of that than to stand and white knuckle a desk right behind, um, behind something. Okay. Now, do you have a set of like parlor tricks that you kind of lean on, like go-to things that you know are going to move the room and get them on your side? Um, well, for me, humor is always one. So, and it, yeah. I always make it self, self humorous if, if possible, or, um, um, or I try and find like some sort of kind of silly image. Animals always seems to work too. Uh, like uh, I'm thinking of my, my most recent one was actually a dog with its legs through a hammock. Oh. Uh, and it's like the best things in life might not apply in all situations. <laughs> and, and, and having kind of some visual, some image with that, some video or things along those lines. Um, that for me is a huge technique because imagery is, is so valuable in terms of people making those connections. Um, I can also riff off of that a little bit better based on what people are saying. Another is, is just discussions at the tables. Um, what are their thoughts? I I used to do this whole, I did an entire session where I delivered no content, not a single bit of content. Doesn't that to me, that makes me super anxious. The idea of that. Yeah. But I just fed off of, I would have them do some sort of exercise, um, whether it be like count to 20 without two people saying the same number at the same time. Right. And then I would have them do this exercise and then they would finish it. And I was like, so how do you know, how can this apply in agile? And they came up with every single point some way better than I could have ever come up with on a bullet point slide. Okay. Back, right. Uh, but that's kind of an extreme level. I, here's the other thing I tell a lot of people that are starting start small. There's nothing wrong with doing a lightning talk or, um, 
the smaller little, little elements of going, what's a key point you want to make and get a little comfortable with that before you're trying to tackle a 75 minute session where you have no slides whatsoever. Like, um, um, uh, tips I'll go through with people is like, if you've got less than 24 and even 24 is pushing it for me, but I'll start you off at 24 point font on a slide deck. You're, you are relying on the slides. The slides are not complimenting you. Okay. And, um, and so I have them look at those kinds of things. The other, did you ever get to do presentation karaoke? No, I was going to ask you about this because as, as, the the idea of that makes me queasy. Really? I, so I'm just terrified of it. And oh, which so means the next time I'm there, I'll probably yeah, I'll probably try to force myself to come and do it because it sounds so scary. So how this came about was Arlo Belshi and at one of the Agile community uh, conferences. Uh, this was a while ago. Was like laughing around and he's like, "Would it be funny if we had to present to other people's slides?" And, and this took on a life of its own. And honestly, it started off as just a joke amongst fans and, and what we were doing. But I ended up, and many others as well, I ended up realizing that it was really helpful for me when I was mentoring speakers to get them to realize how much knowledge they had on a subject. So they got to pick the topic. So let's say they wanted to talk about retrospectives. They could talk about retrospectives, but they had to do it to whatever was coming up. And it, it was a way to get a little more comfortable with inspecting and adapting in the moment to improving and reacting to whatever is happening in the moment. But also what I found most, which I wasn't expecting at the beginning when I did this, was this realization for themselves of how much knowledge they had that they didn't need their note cards, that they didn't need that script, yeah. and that they had and that stuff really just gets in the way a lot of the time. Oh my goodness. And so what I ended up doing is, is like, sure, you can l- learn little techniques of, you know, walking slightly and taking a quick glance at the slide without losing eye contact with the group. But but I could not have asked, I could not have guessed how much it was going to be a confidence builder for people in terms of them realizing how much content they knew that they didn't need. Yeah that script. Um, and, and so I do that a lot with, with people, especially when they're, they're reluctant to let go of their, their note okay. cards. So these slides are just like random images or, or? <laughs> they're random slides, they're text, they're different things from all sorts of things over the years. Okay. Um, and let's say, you know, I've seen every, I've seen such random things come up where people will say something and then the next slide is that thing just by chance. And, <laughs> And, and the other thing that will happen often is how much you can make connections to things. And I think this goes back to what you were talking about before, Dave, of stories. Yeah. Because the interesting thing is, is there's so many times I'm like, oh, there's no way you can connect that to whatever they're talking about. And then they do. And, and I am, my mind is just blown by going, oh, yeah. <laughs> Mike Kottmeyer is really good at that. He can, oh, he can draw that so string. Right? Yeah, it's so impressive. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. And, but it goes, and again, you're going to hear the same same um, thread with me is the authenticity because in that moment, it truly is the first thing that's coming to that person's mind and the connection that their brain had. And, and I cannot tell you how many times that once I saw that connection, I was like, oh, I totally see that too, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't until they said it that I was like, how are they going to do that? And and every time. But the other thing that was really nice, because it is scary for a lot of people, is 
is realizing that when you mess up, it's not a big deal. Yeah, everybody does it. That's how we get better. Does it. Yeah. Every and and sometimes those moments are the most relatable moments. I remember being up on the stage at Agile 2017 when I was the overall conference chair. And I can get up in front of 2,000 people, 2,500 people, not break a sweat. Doesn't oh, bother good. me in the least bit. Try and right. get me to hold that alligator at that conference. And I, I had to go change my clothes afterwards. But <laughs> um, but like I could get up in front of that stage, 2,500. I was not nervous at all. I was totally fine. But once you know, <laughs> the computer crashed. Oh, and I'm yeah. up on the stage with not my clicker because there's such a priority of like your own, you know, yeah, supplies you your- and, and things. And I'm clicking this thing going, am I just doing it wrong? But still trying to talk without yeah. letting anybody know that something's wrong. <laughs> and I'm clicking, I'm clicking, the thing's not moving and I'm still talking. And I and then all of a sudden they switched, I guess, over to the backup computer. And when they switched to that backup computer, I had clicked so many times I was at the end of the slide deck. <laughs> <laughs> and there was absolutely nothing I could do right in that moment. So I went, okay, uh, just own this. First of all, I want to say that I did not swear, which I mean, honestly, there was a 50, 50 shot that that was going to go down, yeah. but like, I didn't swear. But, and they would have been okay with that because uh, probably everybody would have done that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I basically said, so I must teach everybody here at the start of this conference, a very important technique. And it's called the failure bow. And you just bend, you know, you do a bow saying I have failed. And I, and I did this up on the stage. Everybody started clapping, yelling. And, and then I said, now, could you please go back to the original slide? Yeah. <laughs> and because there was no way for me to say it. I mean, they probably knew in the back, but it was just, I, you know, we didn't talk through what we were going to do if that scenario came, right? We did not do that risk assessment. But the, I think that's what makes it work. There's a place in vulnerability where it's like you have no other option. I mean, you're at the last deck. The thing's not working. Everything's screwed up. What are you going to do? You got no choice. You can't fake your way out of it. So the best I, thing you can do is be like, yeah, look, failure about time. Yep. I got, again, and I'm not sure if this makes me feel good or worse. I got so many comments and people still to this day, how many years later, three years later, approach me because of that moment. It is is a really important, I think to be able to find a way to take a breath in those moments and just let them be whatever. Well, and I think whatever it goes they back give to, you, I mean, it's a gift either way, right? right. So you just and I think it goes it. back to what you recognize is missing, right? I can give all the content in the world, but at the end of the day, the person also wants to feel a connection to that speaker. It's yeah. why in a lot of cases, the TED Talks have such a resounding effect is because they're not just giving you like facts. They're not just reading off slides. They're telling a story. They're orchestrating an, an experience that you're connecting with. And the most impactful speakers and trainers are the ones that people will walk out of the room going, that's my friend, even though you never talk to the person, right? Like they walk out of the room feeling like they know you. That by far is, is, I mean, I think about the people who've had that effect on me. I I think of Lisa Adkins and, and Linda rising and um, you know, just the people that, are that do that, that I'm like, yep, I'm a hundred percent in right. Um, Dave Hussman used to do that really well. And, and, and just telling those stories and you're just, you're all in. I think, I think for all this, and I didn't know Dave Hussman, but I know the other folks, um, 
they have a position on things. Like to me, that's a big part of it too. Is like anybody could get up here and teach this thing. What are you bringing? Like, yeah, what's your, what's your story? What's yeah. your what's your perspective on it? What's your uh, connection to the content? Yeah, because other anybody can read. Like, let's say you were teaching about the Scrum Guide. Anybody can read the sixteen pages or however many pages. Since Thirteen now. Thirteen 2020. now. Um, <laughs> And 13 pages, I, I have I have work still I have to do that hasn't been prioritized yet. Um, <laughs> but anybody can read those pages. Yeah. They want to hear your experience. Yeah. And and that's where you get the best trainers and the speakers. And that's why it it I don't even say that it feels dry. I, I do this and I and I'm gonna say this and that's gonna make me sound horrible. I go, so what? So what? Yeah. You just told me facts I can read. So right. what? Why do I care? I want you to tell me something I can't read. Tell me something that an insight that you can give me that's going to make me have a deeper insight, a deeper connection, something that uh goes beyond otherwise why am I here? Yeah. I can read. This is awesome. So so this stuff you 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 cover a lot of this in the workshop? I do it in a series of different, I don't do all of them in just one. Like I have, um, like I said, I I'm really focused on helping leaders evolve their overall skills. So I have one training that I really do focus in on impactful training and speaking. So that one, I focus a lot on how do you organize your sessions, whether it's training or even a meeting and you're facilitating. Um, but I also cover a lot of, um, Tips, some of more of these tips on how to speak, how to how to get around when you're feeling and you've lost your train of thought. What do you do? Best thing, what do you think? <laughs> if someone asks you a question and you've totally just gone blank, you have nothing, and you're like, I don't know what the answer is. See, churn it back to the group. It's like, so what does others think about this? Like, <laughs> I, I have and, found that for me, the best thing there is just to look up and go, yeah, I. I got nothing. I just totally. Well, and I, I'll occasionally do that too. But like, I but also it. if you just need a minute, because what I find a lot of times is it's, it's not that they don't know the answer. It's just that they panicked for a minute, right? Yeah. That they panicked in the, in the moment because they got asked a question and, and the question, did they understand everything the question was asking? And they just, they start overthinking about the question and they forget what the question actually was. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't want to go, can you repeat that again right away? So I was like, a very simple is just like, so what do others think? And it allows that discussion to start forming. And every time I see that happen, then the person's like, okay, and now here's how I can add on to that. Yeah. Um, it's it's actually a technique that I, I really highly recommend anyways. It's from teaching environments that's called ask three, then me. So ask three other people before I, as the leader, or the instructor provide my input. Okay. Um, and, and just that encourages that engagement, encourages more linking. Also, I can, my points become more salient, yeah. um, more potent because I'm, I'm deciding which one I'm going to really emphasize, not try and fire hose people. Yeah. So yeah. I do some of that in that class. I have other things in like my facilitation class. I do different things in just like conflict workshops because a lot of cases, people, one of the things that I was shocked about was how many people try and really prevent engagement because they're afraid of conflict in their sessions. And so if I don't ask any questions to the audience or if I don't open it up, if I just speak to the slides, then nothing wrong can happen. 
right? Like yeah. I can't have anybody challenge my understanding or my knowledge and there will be no conflict. And I'm like, oh, that's really cute. Um, <laughs> doesn't play out that way. If someone really doesn't like what you're saying, they will find a way to point it out, yeah. um, whether you give them a space for it or not. Well, so I'm wondering with these workshops, I mean, we've the thing that you've been putting on on Thursday nights, which if you can you maybe you can explain that in a moment to folks but to me one of the things that's so great about that is that nobody that's a part of it is an expert in it i mean you've you're obviously done a ton more work than the rest of us but you express how how you feel like you're vulnerable in this yes and trying yes. to figure it out and i think that you don't have to be like the super genius on the topic to be able to create a conversation around it where everybody can benefit yeah. Um, well, so, so a hundred percent. And I think, you know, Dave, you just made me go, huh, I, I might have to eat my own dog food for just a second with this right now. Um, because there are so many times that I have literally told people that exact statement, like nobody's expecting you to be the grand specialist expert of this topic. In some cases, they just want your experience and your or your ability to facilitate the discussion and knowledge and experimentation because nobody knows, right? The answer. Well, everybody's vulnerable. Like the Thursday things. Like I, to me that you created a space where you said I'm vulnerable here. And then I could be like, well, thank God I'm not the only one. (laughs) Well, and and so I think we said the Thursday space, but we haven't highlighted what it is. So let me explain that for a second. Um, I, I have, for, for years now, been challenging myself and having more difficult, what others might call political conversations. I call human rights discussions. And, um, and I've challenged myself to have them more and more in a productive, healthy way, not as an expert, but as somebody that can be very empathetic, that is willing to be super vulnerable, that has a past that is not too proud of, that has grown and tried to learn, but still needs to learn herself. And so this year came along um, and, and I decided to take it up another notch by creating a space for some of my personal friends and colleagues to really dive in and, and experiment and, and discuss microaggressions on a deeper level, and especially as a leader in organizations of what it's going to mean for us as as leaders. And I'm not trying to be a DEI expert. I am not a DEI DEI expert by any means. Um, I was lucky enough to work with one and, well, actually several now, and I'm lucky enough to do a lot of research, but I I did go into this activity going, I, I want to practice myself. So selfishly, I need friends that are willing to practice with me, um, that I am not an expert, that I am, I am facilitating, but not even neutral facilitating, uh, a space where we can explore who we want to be in these environments and who do we want to be as we proceed forward in this world. And based on the results of that, I am incorporating um, a, some of that into my leadership classes, especially specific to microaggressions. I think there's a huge responsibility as leaders to not just say, yeah, we're an inclusive environment, but actually helping create and make that to be true. And, um, but it is hard. And, and so I still, I think every time I say, yes, I'm doing a microaggressions workshop, I followed up with, but I'm not an expert <laughs> and I'll point you to great, amazing <laughs> experts like every single time, but, but that it is okay, is okay to facilitate the discussions. I think the other thing is, is that I am a white person um, that 
it does make others a little bit safer of like, well, if I'm going to offend somebody, I don't want to offend. And then they'll throw out something gender related that totally offends me anyways. Right. (laughs) Um, But because microaggressions are on so many fronts and, and, and really across many, many dynamics. And that's what makes them hard to, to get a grasp on especially as a leader. So yeah, that's something that um, I think that's really powerful and honestly, oh, I just made this connection is like, that's where audacious salon sessions at the main Agile Alliance conference came from was okay. we wanted to just stop being about the speaker and start being about the content. And so we didn't want people to go to the session because of the speaker name. We wanted this people going into the session because of the topic and the speaker was there to facilitate may or may not have been the expert in the topic. Okay. And, and, but that's, I think we underestimate the value of that dramatically. We underestimate um, Esther Derby said this once to me, she said, you may even tell the exact same content I did, but you will say it differently. And as such, you will hit and reach different people than I have. Yeah. And I thought that was super powerful. I was so grateful for her because one of my biggest fears is always like, well, somebody else already shared this. Somebody else has already said this. Somebody else can do this better. But she was like, but you will connect with different people than I will, or that, um, you know, Alistair Coburn will or different people. Right. And, and to not take that for granted. And I, I, I will forever be grateful for her advice on that. So I think that's, I want to try to wrap it up on that point, but I think that's really important that everybody gets unlocked a different way by a different person. And it's, it's, it's who's delivering the message and when they're delivering it, but anybody who's going to speak in front of other people, whether it's teaching or speaking at a conference, you not only have a point of view, you're a delivery mechanism, right? Alistair saying something to somebody. I've had different people say things that I've heard Alistair say things and other people say them to, you know, say the same things. And once in a while, somebody will say, and it'll suddenly click like the whole metaphor of, you know, cars on the highway. You don't put more cars on the highway just because it's jammed up. I think I heard that like 50 times before somebody said it to me and I was like, Oh my God. What you mean? Like I was taking a class with Jim Benson and Tony Ann, and she explained. It. I was like, "Oh, oh." <laughs> um, so that that's another thing to consider is you might be the thing that unlocks somebody else. And yeah, you're not gonna. I think that's the. I love that perspective because if you go in trying to speak or train where you're going to be liked by everybody or you're going to cha- you know change the world for every single person and everybody's going to walk away with the exact same experience that's just not realistic because i loved what you said in there the timing sometimes yeah. it's just at the end of the day the timing and and you don't have necessarily control over power of that so i always walk into anytime i speak is with the goal of helping just one person. If yeah. I've helped one person with this podcast, it was enough. And you, change, you help one person, you change the world. Yep. So this is awesome. And I will tell you that as somebody who attends those Thursday night sessions, you've definitely had that impact on me. So oh, thank, thank you. you very much for that. Um, if people want to learn more about you and the work that you're doing, what's the best way for them to track you down? Well, I, because, you know, 2020 is the year to start a new company. (laughs) I don't know what I'm thinking. You know what though? Here's, here's the thing. It can only get better. (laughs) Well, I figure, you know, it's, you know, why not? Why not? What can, what can happen from here? So I am in the progress uh, process, progress process of, I just founded my own company called Ignite Insight and Innovation, which by the way, 
I, this was my first experience doing this and naming a company almost broke me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you can find my website at igniteii.com. And um, I'm now getting everything set up. I'm I'm still with Agile for All too. Uh, it's going to be a very gradual transition. And if they ever need anything, I'm there. It's nothing dramatic by any means. Um, um, in fact, I I'm I'm seeing if I can lobby to be left onto the Slack. And <laughs> I love that team so much. But this was just something I've always wanted to try and do. So um, ignite. I I've I have Twitter now. I have LinkedIn. I have a Facebook company page. I have it all, Dave. Get your MySpace set up. You'll be ready to go. No. <laughs> GeoCities page. <laughs> I didn't go for, as far as an Instagram either. I didn't do that, but. All right. Well, I'll make sure I include links to all this. And you've got classes coming up, which people, if they're not sold out, people can still sign up for them, including. Yes. A couple of them are sold out already, unfortunately, but. Okay. Um, The next one, the very next one is a microaggressions workshop. So it's based on those Thursday nights that we've been doing personally. Um, It's donation-based. That was the other thing um, that was very important to me for this specific class is I do not make any money. Any money that is given is donated. Um, to whether it's AC, uh, this round, I think is going to be ACLU. Um, but I, I am not trying to make money off of these classes, uh, that specific class. So the next one is the 30th. I think there's only a couple spots left, but you can literally sign up for a dollar, <laughs> um, and, and join me for that. Um, and then we do have, uh, I think a couple spots left in the facilitation, the advanced certified scrum master class in, uh, the first week of December as well. All right, cool. I'll make sure I include links to this. Thank you very oh, much for you. your time today and for all the work that you're doing. Thank you. I I, I love these kinds of formats and I love that you're doing this to help people um, and see it and, and get access to different people in different ways and 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 as full circle, an unauthentic yes. way of just having a discussion and having a conversation that's not scripted, that has no idea what what's going Where on. It's gonna, and, how badly it's going to go. <laughs> What's going to come out of my mouth? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, this is cool. And and thank you very much. So um, I'm going to post this as soon as I can. Everybody, I hope you go check out IgniteII.com. And, and as somebody who's been a part of some of the stuff that she's doing in these workshops, they are massively impactful and teach you a lot about yourself. So I would encourage you to check it out. And can I leave it on this? Yeah. The only way you fail at this is Just, you don't try. There you go. Thank you very so, much. Start speaking, start sharing. You've got a story to tell. People need to hear it. Yes. Thank you. I'm waving right now. That's how dumb I am. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's waving back. You just can't see them. <laughs> this is how much I miss people. <laughs> well, you'll see them eventually. 